0: is a little obsessive and in a good way he actually called deans of the schools and asked why was it that I didn't get in and he was explicitly told that if he had been either a woman or black or black and a woman then he would have gotten in but that because of his unfortunate status as just being white and a man he didn't and he was told this not just by one adventurous person but by several over and over again it's if this was an acceptable fact that would not brook any question. That's what really struck me. Same guy, same guy. Yeah, and he's so privileged, that guy. I mean, and he grew up, he basically described growing up under a rock. He had to eat spam, like literally, Gelatinous
1: and encased spam, he, as, I recall. As, as he put it.
0: <laughs> and he lived, and actually, because I, I taught, I where where, where, where what, did he grow up? He's oh no 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 no, he's in Cranston, Rhode Island. Oh yeah, um, and he lives by the dump. He's like in a Looney Tune. He's Sylvester, and he lives near the dump. And they're dealing with the smells, and he has to close the window. You got it. You got and it. criminals hang out at the dump, and he's listening to sirens, and so he's having all of this white privilege and he can't get into law school that was his story okay
1: so he's not privileged after all he's a white guy like many white guys and gals who are not privileged and yet he doesn't get the benefit of special consideration and the question is well there are two questions one is is that okay and the other is what are black guys doing defending that guy
0: And some black guys, like me, and I think you, would just say that affirmative action is a wonderful thing, but it should be based on socioeconomics. And one of the damnedest things is that if you say that in some circles, it's considered to be odd, bizarre, self-centered, you just don't quite get it, you're denying that racism exists, etc., when really, I'm thinking about that guy living like Sylvester, at the dump. Why doesn't he get consideration given what he went through? The idea that he doesn't get it because his ancestors were Caucasian, which I think is the, the argument, is clearly flimsy. You know, maybe somebody could hold it up, especially if they were a crack lawyer, but it's flimsy. It doesn't it doesn't work. And yet here we are.
1: Okay. Uh, we're doing this, so let's do it. Uh, one of the things that we do is steel man the other side of the case. So here's the other side of the case. It's about diversity. Stupid. It's about creating an environment in which many different lived experiences are represented amongst the student body. That guy, it's not about him being white so much as it's about the fact that there are very few persons of color, underrepresented minorities within the, uh, within the student body, and the, the school wants to make an effort to ensure that that is remedied, and so they have preferences. Closer to the mic. You want? You I want can't get closer, closer to the mic. mic. Yeah. I can hold it. I don't want to hold I it. I rather, I rather like holding the if mic. If you hold it, I <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Watch me
0: break it. It's gonna break. Right, here we go. No, no. I'm, right. I'm
1: just saying. There's an argument on the other side. Is there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. The argument is for diversity. I mean, what? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. What? Diversity. You know.
0: the truth is, I don't think I've ever put this in print. When I went to college, given what a bougie upper middle class black person I was, I went to Rutgers at a time when a significant proportion of Rutgers students were white first generation college students. To be honest, as far as diversity went, I don't know what they learned about blackness from me. But I learned about lower middle class and working class whiteness from them. And I found it quite educational. And I assume that white versions of me could learn a lot from Mr. Cranston, Rhode Island, he struck me as quite diverse from me. I uh, didn't oh, live I'm near a dump no, there's yeah. more
1: than just skin coloration and defining what me makes for diversity. What about religion? Suppose oh. you were a born again, Christian, wouldn't that add some color? To the same. I
0: found those people very diverse when I was in college. They <laughs> diverged diverged from me and I learned that they made sense. Yeah, you, know, you have conversations sitting in the hallway with them. Do people still do that? Now I imagine everybody's on their phone, but back then you had nothing to do but sit in the hallway. And you learned from people. I would have learned a lot from what's his name? Craig. Let's give him a name. It's probably Craig. And so I would have learned a lot from Craig. Like he has to have a name, Craig.
1: Craig told a tragic story. Yeah, I did read that one. Now Craig is angry. I mean, I think we got to bring that into the mix here. Craig is pissed off. I hope
0: his name is Craig.
1: Craig is nurturing a, gr- a grudge, uh, and there's a lot of Craig's out there. There's a lot of angry people who don't feel safe to express their anger and their resentment because they'll be called racist if they do. And I just wonder what kind of world we're making for ourselves going forward where there are a lot of, cra- I mean, they might vote for Donald Trump, heaven forbid. They, they might find ways of expressing their resentment and their anger and their feelings of hurt by uh, political uh, you know, uh, extremism and whatnot. So is it those shooting in the foot situation, this diversity obsession that seems to be going on? How many,
0: this is a genuine question. How many Craigs do you hear from who say this sort of thing makes me so angry that I've become impatient with the race debate and I'm giving up on it? A lot. Do you hear people actually explicitly saying that?
1: Uh, I'm done. I'm through. I mean, do you not read the comment section of some of our posts?
0: Well, as you know, I, I don't.
1: And- <laughs> <laughs> it's my job. I got to read it. Because I got to monitor it. Because I got to delete the over the top comments. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you get a lot of that? Okay, that's, Uh, that's educational. I I get a fair amount of it a fair amount of people saying y'all Negroes need to grow up and man up Mm -hmm. that it's a hard world out there. Everybody is struggling what you got an excuse because your grandfather was enslaved. I'm tired of it. I get a lot of that and it gives me the willies. I'll confess because I don't want to feed into that kind of sentiment. And yet I think it's really important to stay in touch with reality. So I don't know, John?
0: well, remember, if we're going to do the devil's advocate thing that what many people would say in response is it's not about my grandfather. It's about microaggressions. And it's about the cops and how the cops might treat me or if I'm getting a little older, how the cops might treat my son. Now as you know, many people say that and they mean it deeply. They say it hotly and it's very hard to reach them about it. Are they not right? What's the response to that argument? What most people would say is, frankly, the cops. What about it?
1: Uh, Well, we're gonna talk about the cops.
0: We are because that's what the answer to that question is. It's not my grandfather. It's not slavery. It's not Jim Crow. It's what I have to put up with when I go out there being a black man every day. You know that routine. What is the response to that?
1: Driving while black, like I can't get a taxi, like people never heard of Uber. I mean, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I think it's overplayed, it's a, you're overplaying your hand. I think that this is not 1980, this is not 1950, this is 2022. I think the country's fast moving and it's very diverse. Have you noticed uh, what's happening with all these different, the Latino, the Asian populations, et cetera, et cetera? It's a very dynamic country. Uh, I think the belly bellyaching uh, is getting old and, and I think it's a... Uh, a uh, pathway to mediocrity and to a kind of permanent second-class status. And I think people will pay obeisance, they'll genuflect, they'll, they'll mouth the right-sounding words, but in their heart of hearts, they're, they're uh, c- cultivating a sense of contempt for people who, uh, whose main argument is, my great-grandfather was enslaved.
0: Folks, I'm doing something because you never know when you feel that bump in your pocket, whether it's your kids. Just making sure. I can't it- believe
1: he's doing that.
0: That is not my child. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, yes, all of these things are are very, s- suppose, you never know and it's always in your pocket. And so, you no, know, these things are extremely real. And I just think that we have reached an impasse in our race debate about things like this. And as we wondered during the last show that we recorded, the question is what we do about it, and us avoiding coming off as men beyond a certain age who just sit around complaining. What is the actual solution to these things?
1: Well, I hope you're not asking me that question. I mean, I'm happy I, to hear what you would have to say about it.
0: I think that we have to assess whether or not we're making
1: any difference. And You, you say, mean whether or not you and I are making any difference?
0: You mean you and I, just you and I?
1: No, no, I mean people of our... Ilk, yes. <laughs> the idea <laughs> is whether we
0: heterodox people, we peculiar people, are creating any difference in the race debate. Are we
1: making any difference? Well, our ilk. Yeah. No, but there are some loyalty issues here. If we were to if we were to explore this, you know, there are some you're black, you know, whose team are you on? I mean, whose side are you on? Uh, Don't does your conscience never trouble you john when you deliver one of these, uh, you know, uh, attacks on wokeness? I mean, you wrote a whole book woke racism is john's book. Everybody should buy his book. Yeah, you should. buy. Does does your conscience never trouble you when you end up being the black guy who's the skunk at the party kind of thing? (laughs) The diversity, equity and inclusion party? No, actually, um,
0: woke racism started with me sitting on a sun porch late at night and feeling that I needed to tell a truth. I don't feel guilty at all, and I frankly feel that most black American people think just like you and me. The question is just, one, whether they know it, and two, whether they want to say it in public. So no, I don't feel like a skunk, but Glenn, I want to, I want to offer, ask you something. This morning, I pretended to read a book, and it was um, a very good book by one of our ilk Ian Rowe, who is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and he's been a CEO of um, various charter schools. Yeah, he's a and big charter school entrepreneur yeah, here he, in the city. Very, yes, he's, he's very good at it. And when I say pretended to read, I don't mean to indicate disrespect. I didn't have time to read every page, but I, I, I read it. And one of the things was about school choice. He's a big believer in school choice making a big difference in um, black kids education. Now from what I know, and I'm not taking on anything Ian has done personally, from what I know the record on vouchers is not great. Say 20 years ago, talk about what I write. I used to always talk about school choice. I've stopped because the data doesn't seem good enough. Am I missing something? Yeah. Okay, tell me.
1: Well, I mean, not all. And first of all, it's not just vouchers. Charter schools are not just vouchers. Those are public institutions that are free from the regulatory restraints of the central system and can experiment and do different things. Uh, It's a mixed record. They're, They're not all uniformly excellent, but the best of them are really very, very good. Let a thousand flowers bloom. Let the market decide. This is what I would say. Let people come in, offer what they have to offer. Let parents make their choices. Let the money go with the parents and the kids. The money doesn't belong to the teachers. The money belongs to the parents and the kids. Let them go where they think their kids will be best educated. Those charters that are not performing should wither and die on the vine. Those that are should grow and should flourish. I think Ian and his baccalaureate high school that he's trying to stand up and the other things that he's done have very long waiting lists. I mean, that ought to tell you something. When you see people in the hundreds uh, putting in their name on a list, hoping to get called so they can avail themselves of a spot in the school, the school is probably doing something right. Why wouldn't we want to encourage that as opposed to uh, shut it down, limit it, cap it, Uh, you know, and so forth and so on. The incentives here are all in the wrong direction. I mean, the central system has the incentive of stifling any innovation and any new development because they're trying to protect their sinecure. That's not the kids. That's the establishment. I'm for the kids. Let my people go. He asked.
0: Yeah, and and I asked because I wanted that. I wanted you to say that, because it's something interesting I've seen over the past 20 years, which is, if the record on school choice isn't pristine, and and it's not, yes, some of them have to wither, the statistics are not always as rosy as you would think, you would suppose if it's such conservative boilerplate to be in favor of school choice, at least to some extent, that there would be very obvious solutions to how you fix the ordinary public school. The idea would be, you don't need this. You know, Often it used to be said, you're taking students away from the ordinary public schools. Well, how do you fix a public school that has gone wrong? And the fact is that usually when it's gone wrong, it's very hard to say that it's white people that are making it wrong. Usually it's people of color who are running the school. And you know, I have seen, I can think of three times, two and a half, Half of I wasn't really paying attention the third time, but I can think of two and a half times where I have sat at an education conference and watched somebody get up in a well-tailored suit with great confidence and talk about saving the public schools. And there's an audience out there who are looking at that person like he's Mick Jagger, and he's going to talk about how he's going to save the public schools, and he'll say something with a certain intonation, you know, where melody is meaning, like, you know, I've seen it, I can do it, and you're thinking, good, and the audience is all excited. And then over the next 20 minutes, doesn't say a damn thing. Might as well be in Hungarian. Doesn't say anything about how you would change the school. He's just well-tailored and inspiring. I'm talking about not any one person, but two and a half. I've never seen anything different. And if anybody knew how you change a public school, we would have heard by now. There would be beautiful articles in various places, but no one knows. And yet to talk about school choice is to be a right-wing, bigoted zealot. I don't find that that coheres, in my view. Have you ever heard anybody explain how to fix a public school that was in English and, you know, wasn't about melody?
1: Well, no, but I've not heard him tell me how to bake a loaf of bread or or how to make a good attaché case or how to land a plane on, you know, without crashing it. I mean, this is the the, the mystery and the magic of the market. I'm an economist uh, in my day job is that you don't have to be able to tell the answer to those questions. You let competition and uh, the pursuit of profit and success in the marketplace ferret out the methods that don't work and reward the methods that do, they prosper and they grow and they get more customers. With the assumption
0: that people are trying.
1: Yeah, right. right. Well, and in the public sector, you don't necessarily have the pressures of competition. And that's one of the arguments, it seems to me, for expanding charters, allowing a 1,000 flowers to bloom. As long as you have a winnowing process, as long as you have a way of weeding out those that are not being successful, and I think when parents can vote with their feet and take their kids where they want their kids to be educated, you have that, that uh, winnowing effect. So that's a, that's a theoretical argument in any case for, for charters.
0: The sad thing, though, is that the public schools don't seem to improve. That's the thing. It seems almost as if there's nothing to be done.
1: Maybe we're being too hard on the public schools. Maybe they're not all cut from the same cloth. Certainly, public schools in relatively prosperous communities are flourishing. And, you know, you have a lot of uh, excellence that's exhibited there. The best public schools even in New York City, I'm told, are not half bad. People are, there are wonderful ones, clamoring yes. to get access to them and so forth. So. Yeah,
0: and I think we both agree that it's not about that the ones in the leafy suburbs get more money. That's been soundly disproven. And so the issue is that at many schools, there just isn't, and this is this loaded word, there isn't a culture of excellence and hasn't been for generations. And so nobody there knows how to make it better, which is often not their fault. But the question is how you change that in a school In say, to take a random example, Newark, it's very hard to change what's been going on forever. Jersey City, where all sorts Didn't, of things have
1: Didn't uh, uh, um, really get $100 million from somebody for
2: Newark schools? But
0: did it work is the question. And so how are the Newark schools doing now? And if there were a rosy story, oh, we would have heard. There would, there would have been stories. In other words, it's the same thing. That's the way these things tend to go.
1: Okay, I want to go back to talking about the cops.
0: That's interesting.
1: <laughs> uh, here is a provocative premise. I mean, one of the things I think comedy is good for is giving space for articulating ideas that would be absolutely forbidden in serious company because you can always say I was I was just joking I was just joking so I'm just joking everybody (laughs) Um, you complain about the cops and black people in the cities here's one response to that if there weren't so much black crime if there weren't so many black criminals if there wasn't so much black violence If people were not acting in ways that created suspicion and that caused threats to their fellow citizens, there wouldn't be so many cops, there wouldn't be so many arrests, there wouldn't be so many uh, situations that go bad and end up in tragedy, and so on. The public discussion of this issue is ridiculously one-sided. Policing is probably one of the hardest public service jobs that you can possibly Imagine, make a mistake and you become a racist and you're on your way to jail, or worse, you get a bullet in the back of the head. So the real issue here is black crime, black criminals. Now there are not so many of them, most black people are not criminals, but unless we acknowledge the fact that the reason the police officer is terrified when that kid reaches for the glove compartment and doesn't keep his hand on the steering wheel is because too many of those glove compartments have pistols in them. And too many of those kids are readily willing to draw those pistols and shoot.
0: This is the problem, though. Glenn, don't you understand that the reason that there is this I was just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) The reason for this disproportion in the black crime is racism. Didn't you know that? I mean, when I see a disproportion between white and black people in behavior or achievement, what I see is racism. Last time I checked, that was the wisest way for an enlightened person to think about these things that rises above all the possible biases that we might have. And so these young men are doing these things because we live in a racist society where they have no choice. Didn't you know that, Glenn? just trying to remind you of the truth.
1: I don't take any pleasure, you know, in in broaching this issue. I'm I'm just trying to be faithful to the forum and to what it is that we do when we talk. Uh, You realize I'm kidding. No, that's complete bullshit. I mean, come on, that's bullshit. You took a pistol and fired it out the window of your car driving past a gang rival and ended up killing a little six-year-old sitting on her auntie's lap because of racism? Nobody he believes that. He didn't have a
0: dad. He didn't have a dad to say- Oh, and that's say, due
1: to racism? Don't
0: shoot that gun out the window. his father
1: was irresponsible and wouldn't take uh, care of his own children is due to racism? Come the, on, the nobody on, believes that. The
0: war on drugs was instituted partly because of racism and that's probably what sent his dad up the river.
1: Okay, I mean, I have heard that argument, but it's just complete BS, man. <laughs> Come on, and, and no, and I mean, you guys can tell us we can take some questions at the end, whether or not this is crazy. I don't think anybody believes it.
0: And now here we hit this point. But I think I think it's an important point. Is the guy who Omar, Omar does this, it's this character that we've created, is Omar evil for shooting that gun out the window? Or has Omar grown up watching people do that and thinks it's the only way to prove his masculinity. And now I'm not kidding. In, in Omar's head. That's all he knows. I can't hate Omar. I just think it's a shame that Omar has gone somewhere where that's a, a norm.
1: I don't hate him. I'm mad as hell at him, and I'm prepared to judge his behavior as contemptible. And there well may be reasons why he has behaved in that way, and I'm not sure your story exhausts the list of what those reasons might be. But if we can't hold people accountable for their behavior, we have no civilization at the end of the day. If we can't make judgments, Omar fires his pistol, the bullet goes through the brain of that six year old. She's now dead. That was an evil act. That was a a, um, that's a misshapen human being who uh, who committed that act. And he that act has to be judged. Uh, And and the fact that uh, his dad abandoned him, everybody's got a story. The racist guy that walked into that market in Buffalo and murdered those people has a story. I'm not gonna let that story obscure my clarity about the evilness of that act. Likewise, Omar.
0: There is, well, a lot of things bother me, but one thing that bothers me a lot is that, um, and this is a non-black thing, this is me caricaturing, caricaturing white people a little bit, and I'm sorry, but the idea that if you are an educated white person, you're supposed to see these obvious discrepancies These obvious evils and the clear, strong tendency for things like this to be black American men. Some Latinos essentially no Asians. A trickle of whites do these sorts of things, for example, in New York every year. Any idiot can see it. The fact that the educated white person looks over your shoulder and shakes their head and thinks, well, and, you know, they're thinking it's, it's racism of some kind. And everybody knows that doesn't make sense, but you can't address it and then you move on and you start talking about breaking bad or something like that. You can't address it. To be a black person in that situation and to be the kind of black person who does not pretend to think that it's racism is so, uncomfortable. I always think to myself, especially if they don't know me and they know my positions, do they think that I think it's racism and that therefore I can't engage with reality? But then I think to myself, this is a birthday party or something. I don't want to talk about this. And so we move on, you know, and we talk about hacks and, you know, whatever else, because we're finished watching Breaking Bad. And it really is a drag. I wish we could have more productive conversations about this for example why does omar do it i wish there were an honest level we could all talk on but we we can't that's the nature of being at certain gatherings to me yeah and if i'm with a lot of my family it's easier because a lot of them feel more like you than i do it's when you're at that frankly mostly white park slope birthday party where it has to be a fake conversation and everybody keeps looking over my shoulder and I'm always wondering what's back there and it it certainly isn't the truth and so it's very uncomfortable
1: well I was just going to remark there's a class dimension to this I mean you're in Park Slope and that cocktail party or whatever is what it's
0: never in Park Slope (laughs) but yeah
1: that but but if you're in a church basement in the hardcore inner-city neighborhood where a lot of people have lost their kids to this kind of thing I think the conversation is going to be different. So I, I, it's going to be different. I once interviewed uh, the uh, Mr. C and his uh, acolytes of the Rose Street Community Center in Baltimore. He's a black guy in the hood. Um, an older guy who has uh, devoted his life to trying to help, you know, people, young people deal with the situations and avoid the temptations, and whatnot. They got jobs over at Johns Hopkins, they're hiring people, you know, you guys ought to go over there. Let's pray this morning before we set out, you know, on a day that is fraught with all kind of temptation, and all kinds of sentiment. He's in every
0: city that Yeah, that you got guy.
1: you got a guy like that in every city and you talk to him. Now, uh, his uh, cohorts have lost, you know, my sister, my son, my father, killed by gun violence in the city, killed by people wielding guns in the city, and so on. And uh, there, and I asked them, I said, are you mad? Because I'm mad. And they equivocated a little bit. They didn't want to just say straight up, they were angry. They didn't want to just point a finger because they're but for the grace of God go I. I mean, one guy told a story about how he wanted to go get revenge, because his sister had been murdered. And he thought he knew who had done it. And he thought that the police officer who gave him a clue as to who had done it was baiting him to try to encourage him to go and commit the crime so that the police officer could then come around and arrest him for committing the crime. He thought he hated the cops, but he also hated the guy that killed his sister. And he was on the horns of a dilemma. So I mean, there's, there's, a kind of ambiguity, a kind of mixed feelings of my anger and your sadness, a kind of, you know, resignation. This is the hand we've been dealt, but also a sense that this is not right because it's not right.
0: It's not right. And actually, Ian's book is about using family. And education and uh, focus on entrepreneurship. He has an acronym, and I just gave and religion. It, John. I just gave you F E E, and I was I was leaving out the R. The I was R get,
1: is for religion. I was going to
0: get to it at the end. I wasn't going to make it fear. And so it's <laughs> <laughs> family, religion. You see, I read this book very quickly, but it was very good. <laughs> education and entrepreneurship. And the idea is, it's funny. You and I apparently, if you look. Look on the Twitter. We deny that racism exists or a certain kind of person says we underplay it. But the truth is we know it exists and so does Ian. The idea is what do you do despite it? It's always gonna rain, there will always be germs. We can get past it. And there seems to be this idea that if you're black American and it's after about 1965, there's something unique that's happened in human history. Human history starts probably somewhere in East Africa, about 300,000 years ago, depending on what you call a human being. All sorts of things have happened. People have spread all over the world. And there's been the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution and television and and Blu-ray and all these things. And now here we are. And black Americans are the only people who can't overcome, who need a complete overhaul of general conditions before we can do any better than okay. That is such a depressing message. But the idea seems to be that racism is just too much. We have no agency. Ian's book is called Agency, but it's called Agency. I don't remember the (laughs) subtitle. But he he thinks that we have agency, and yet you can be sure as shit that there are going to be reviews of that book where he's accused of being this patronizing black conservative who's telling us to pull ourselves up by these things called bootstraps that I actually don't know what they are. <laughs> I think that is such a shame that somebody says, here's what you can do despite it, and they're told, you're just a conservative. Be gone. We're going to sit here and cry together.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Well, you're preaching to the choir on that one, man. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I think it makes a mockery of the very idea of freedom and, and it makes a, a kind of joke out of the notion of equality, uh, freedom to do what freedom to live responsibly and to take responsibility for the consequences of your choices. Equality in what sense? Equality in the sense that I have earned your respect. You don't give it to me because I'm a belly acher. You don't give it to me because, again, my ancestors were violated. You give it to me because you respect what it is I've done with the freedom that uh, that uh, characterizes my life. So, I, all of this belly aching, excuse making, and so forth. And this is just me. And you know, I I almost want to apologize because I I realize how out of step this kind of sentiment is in the day of racial reckoning and post George Floyd, uh, enlightenment. But I, but I, I think it's a path to a kind of permanent second class citizenship, not by law, but by the consequence of the failure to actually seize the possibilities of your own freedom. I mean, for example, seven in 10 babies born to an African American woman in this country born to a woman without a husband? How's that healthy? how does that lay the groundwork for a prosperous and flourishing subsequent generation we don't need fathers no 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 i can't say that because well the feminists won't let me say it you feminist won't let me say it because it lionizes fatherhood in the family because it's a uh, 1950s yeah i'm in my 70s i was born in 1948 i actually think the nuclear family is a mainstay in the foundation of our civilization. I think some of this violence that you're seeing amongst these young men is a consequence of the collapse of the institution of the family. I think that's something to be lamented. I think it's something that a free people, a free self-respecting African-American people could direct our attention to. Not the government, not reparations, but we seizing the imperatives of our own freedom. That's what I think. But uh, given that the tenor of the times is exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. Uh, I, I'm in despair. I don't think the future holds much uh, prospect of an improvement in this situation.
0: Glenn, do you remember the time that um, we first talked about George Floyd We had no idea that we were going to still be talking about him years later. It wasn't clear what the impact was going to be. um, Yeah, I remember well. Everybody had a certain – this is, I think, May 2020, major lockdown. I remember where I was. And um, there was a certain kind of talk about what had happened to George Floyd and why and what this signaled about the relationship between black men and the cops and the pervasiveness of racism. And it was so strong and it was so – relentless. I'm even going to say something that I've never said on the show and that I haven't talked about with many people. There's this bungalow colony that I'm sometimes doing the shows from where I'm in a kayak and everything. And the bungalow colony is um, wonderful people. They are educated and almost to a man, white people. And, Jewish, right? Um, they are almost to a man, Jewish, like not me and not one or two other people. But i had an unpleasant exchange nothing nasty but i had an an unpleasant quietly unpleasant exchange with one of them about george floyd around that time and i heard later he didn't tell me and he's always been very nice to me but i heard later that he said john's not somebody that i think i can talk to and it was because i was saying that i think the tenor of the conversation about floyd and what it means for the nation was distorted and we hadn't had an argument but this is a very wise person He's a person who is a journalism professor. And my inclination was to think, and this is rare for me, my inclination was to think, am I missing something? If he can't get this, and I I had quoted statistics to him that were correct for a change. If he doesn't get me, I asked you that afternoon, Glenn, are we wrong? Is there something that we're missing? And we decided that we weren't wrong. How do you feel about that now? Like you're expressing a certain amount of insecurity, if I may, that because we seem to be so alone sometimes, do you still have that feeling? I don't, frankly, but I did for about two seconds in May of 2020. I'm just wondering.
1: Okay, so so George Floyd, I think, I guess, two things here. Uh, I think, George Floyd, I mean, I watched the video when YouTube would allow me to watch it, it's since been taken down of Derek Chauvin and company's uh, attempt to uh, restrain and arrest George Floyd and his behavior, which contributed to, but Derek Chauvin's knee was on his neck, et cetera. It was a horrible, horrible thing. It was very difficult to watch. I, I guess I see why YouTube might've taken it down. And I thought that's bad policing. I also thought George Floyd was a mess what we know about his life, and so on. And I watched the funeral. Gold casket, caisson. A national event where major politicians and figures came to voice the words, and I thought, okay, I mean, I get it. This is an event. This is a ritual. We're enacting something here collectively. This is an affirmation of something, given the history of the country, and so on and so forth. It's symbolic. Let me not quibble. And I watched the aftermath. I watched the protests and the protests were global. I'm just back this summer from giving some lectures on race in uh, France and in, and in Britain and uh, what people wanted to ask me about was, you know, how the tenor of this issue in America is moving and shifting because it has consequences for their own domestic uh, social relations and political developments as well. It was global, and I thought this is bigger. This is bigger than George Floyd. This is something iconic. This is something profound. So I was loathe to dismiss it. But you heard what I said earlier in this conversation. I said if there weren't so many black criminals, I laid the foundation for this large problem on a massive failure of socialization of a significant portion of the lower strata of African American society. I don't think that's only on black people, but I think it's substantially on black people. And if you take the police violence issue and you put it in perspective, the Washington Post keeps an extensive database uh, chronicling every single case that they can identify of a police killing of a citizen unarmed or armed, et cetera. There are over 1,000, maybe 11, 1200 in any given year of those instances, about which, about a quarter of which are African-Americans, about half of which are whites. The, the police killings problem is vastly overstated by the activists. The idea that it's open season, this is the attorney, Benjamin Crump's Book about police killings of unarmed black. Open season. There's a handful of unarmed black people killed by police in any given year, and there are twice as many whites as blacks killed under similar circumstances.
0: What about the disproportion, though? So let's say we're a quarter, but it should be an eight.
1: Disproportion in crime. Yeah, there's a disproportion. Of blacks are one in eight Americans, and they're one in four people killed by police. That's a doubling of the of the percentages. Yeah. But what about participation in violent criminal activity, which calls the attention of the police uh, to the individual who's participating in those actions? And we could cite Roland Fryer's careful study of the data in Houston and so forth. But I don't want to I don't want to go there. I I mean, I just want to say that the idea that this is a first order phenomenon affecting the quality of life of black people in this country is a vast exaggeration of the circumstance
0: and it's the main thing if there were one generation of one black boys and men growing up in less than pristine neighborhoods and also educated young black people listening to the news and listening to professors if there were one generation who shed this frankly mythical idea That to be a black male is to walk around in danger of being iced by the cops and that the cops are so obviously racist that they are going to pull the trigger more likely in a tight situation with a black person than a white person, which the data simply doesn't show. If there could be one generation where we got past that idea, you and I would not be necessary the whole fulcrum of the race debate ultimately comes down to the cops in my experience whenever you talk to somebody about this sort of thing and there's any conflict or you find that you've hit a wall it's about that one thing the police which is frankly about one two hundredth of what the existence of a black american person is if we can get past that i really think we've changed Everything, because all of the rest of it would suddenly become what it is to most Caribbean and African immigrants. People like that, black people like that know that racism exists, but they don't understand why black Americans focus so much on it and exaggerate its effect. We would stop that if we got past this cop narrative. It's why I've often focused on it so much. It's deeply, deeply frustrating.
1: All right. I think it's time to shift gears, John.
0: Is this the part with, the, with comedians?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we happen to be in the presence of some talented comics here at the Comedy Cellar. And it would seem a shame if we didn't benefit from hearing their input on what we've been talking about or whatever else they wanna talk about. So let me ask them to join us up here and I'll introduce Sherrit Small, who's host of the podcast, Race Wars Podcast. Sherrod. Oh, this is John Laster. John Laster. And this is Nimesh. Oh, okay, so there's a chair over here. Oh, y'all you, you do uh, I, uh,
3: wait, okay, you some, the first
1: I'm gonna, you just, no, okay. I'll, I'll do it. Nice to you just... Okay. This is
3: Sherrod.
1: Come in here, get in here. Oh, man. We're a family again. All right, I like it, man, I like it. John Laster on my right here, and Nimesh Patel here on the far end. Sorry I'm late.
3: Jack. <laughs> I couldn't get a cab.
1: <laughs> I was at a birthday party in Park Slope.
3: You know how hard those, <laughs> those are to leave. I'm,
4: I'm here, here to represent the and add a Adderall you can eat. <laughs>
5: is my mic on? Is this on? Can you I hear me? I think it is. Can I you hear me? On. Is this microphone on? Yeah, it's on. Check. One, two. You guys can hear me? How's Sounds this one? Really check, low. check, check, okay. check, 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 check. Yeah, we good. Check. Okay. Yes, check.
1: Okay, guys, have at it. Are uh, oh,
5: we talking? We talking about yeah? Let, what the what about the police? About the police? I mean, the police thing. I mean, two things can be true, right? Right. We, there can um, uh, the harassment. I do agree that it's a you know that it's a, a, a bigger problem than people make it out to be. Like it's the whole black problem. There's so much more going on here. Um, I did on my Instagram, which is called He Was Funny, a John Laster challenge where I had black men tell their stories about their encounters with the police. Right. And there's probably, you did one for me, Sherrod. Yes. I think there were 40 or 50. I was at
3: home from a Boy Scout meeting and got pulled over by police when I was a child. And he tells that story. 12 years old. He
5: tells that story on the John Laster Challenge. I have to
3: be like, I'm trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, thrifty, brave, <laughs> clean, and reverent. Just to walk away. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for Eagle Scouts. <laughs> and I had That side is kicking your ass. Pick it up over here. And, <laughs> too much
5: judgment. And I had a ton of white people in my DMs every day saying we had no idea that this is what it looked like to engage with the cops to you guys. I remember you guys you you guys are sitting up here talking about Floyd and me and Floyd are the exact same height, exact same weight, exact same skin color. So I felt like I was watching myself yeah. being choked to death, literally. Same haircut, you know what I mean? Like, I, it literally, if you know, if you just kind of glanced at it, I, it reminded me of myself. I um, am one of those people, though, that don't think you can march yourself out of an economic problem. True. Yes. So I created an app to support black-owned businesses, uh, Blap, uh, shameless plug. Um, because i think that it's more of a it's more of a uh, ongoing financial problem we've had headwinds obviously since we came here in chains um, that caused That's us you. right right that that caused headwinds. some of these problems that you guys yeah let's call them headwinds, <laughs> headwinds right let's call them head, let's call them financial <laughs> headwinds for now um, that uh, that that end up in these same situations as you were speaking about why is the black american after all this time still in the same conundrum and I think that we were spending our way out of the conundrum, a la Tulsa. And then there's backlash. The Klan wasn't there for niggas who wasn't doing good.
2: The Klan <laughs> was there
5: for uppity niggas. How dare you niggas do good? Yeah. There's no Donald Trump because Barack was the failure, the white people some were hoping he would be. This motherfucker was the shit. We gonna let that happen again with a woman? Or we gonna get this circus clown in here who violates women, commits crimes, but it's better than one of them again. It's better than one of them. And and as for the law enforcement, I know that you were saying, hey man, you know that's a little tiny thing, but law enforcement is totally different. Nobody thinks if me and Sherrod and Nemesh rushed the Capitol, that we'd be sitting here today. I did. I didn't know. I did. Did, you? did you? Did you? go up there? <laughs> Nemesh was there. He I had. know I saw you I, I, in uh, I, I, Nancy Pelosi's I, I, office. I, I, <laughs>
3: <laughs> Going through her
5: mail
4: like it's yours.
5: Breaking news. <laughs> I think this only election, I wanted to thank you. I knew he was taking them goddamn rock climbing classes for a reason. <laughs> I wondered what the fuck he was doing in them classes. <laughs>
3: but how do you feel, crowd? Do you feel like black people don't go through police brutality, or we don't get more fucking knees on our neck than you guys? No. No, you don't think it. What's your name? Did we go to commercial? <laughs> what just happened? Susan. That was a long pause, Susan. A mic. We got a mic coming around. All right, Susan, you don't think that black people have more pressure from the police than you? I think
4: they do 100%. Okay. Oh, okay. She's sitting with a cop right now. Look at this
3: dude. <laughs> <laughs> like an off duty lieutenant. Yeah. Is that your husband, Susan? Yeah. How long you been married? 16 years. There oh, you go. Shit. He took over that. You do the quantity, huh, sir? <laughs> How many kids you got, two? I said it before you, (laughs) believe in my powers. What's her real name? (laughs) Boy and a girl? It ain't Susan. Boy and a girl, right? Ah, look at my powers. (laughs) Now how many black people live in your neighborhood? On your block, your block, your block. Damn, you ain't gotta say it like that, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Too many for me to count. <laughs> Holy Juneteenth, Susan. <laughs> that don't sound inclusive. No. Some of y'all laughing, some of y'all staring at me like, Susan's what a peculiar Negro. Susan's from Oakland, Sherrod. Yeah, Are you from uh, Oakland? Yeah. Okay, I was just in the Bay Area. I performed at the Paramount Theater with Chris Rock and fucking uh, Hannibal Barrett and Dave Chappelle came through. MC Hammer came. And that made my fucking day. As far as I'm concerned, MC Hammer is the mayor of the bay.
5: Him and Too Short.
3: But it's really black, but... But y'all got a lot of galleries and fancy restaurants downtown now. Is it? But what's your favorite restaurant, Susan? Be honest with me. In Berkeley? Yeah. Cesar. Cesar. Is a lot of black clientele? Bitch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she goes. <laughs> she you needs a break from her. Let's talk like family. <laughs> oh God bless you, Susan. you got a good spirit. I like you. You're honest. I like honest people. I don't like people who hide behind their fucking real feelings. Or are they fucking cop husbands? <laughs>
5: <laughs> Johnny? Oh, no, no. You was, you was rolling, bro. Yeah. I'm not trying to meet some of this go crowd. Ahead. I want to no, know go ahead. you're you, a club, you, you, know. Got your, you got your How hand up. You let her, let her, Wait, let her ask he, this is question. Is he really a cop?
1: I can't see, it's no, a no, no,
5: no.
3: He's got a glow to him. <laughs>
5: Sherrod, let this question come in. Go ahead.
6: So first of all, I do want to say, we are actually both from Buffalo. So thank you for
3: mentioning. Buff, so buff.
6: A, yes. 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 Canada's basement, I call it. <laughs> so it was, Give this it crowd was a difficult. map. It was difficult, it was a very difficult time. But I, I have a genuine question. I'm not going to say any names. I have a relative who is NYPD. Kevin? (laughs) Sure. That's the uncle we like least, so let's say Kevin. Um, (laughs) O'Leary? No. He is half my part of the family Italian and half of Central American descent. Okay. Um, so I even, he's been a cop maybe about 20 years or so before I knew him. And granted, I didn't spend every single holiday with him, but I noticed a shift in his demeanor. Once he became a police officer. Like what kind of shift? like
3: put the mic to it let him put a, a good a mic in the face <laughs> so we get a uh, back of camera.
6: just i want to choose my words carefully being very like any it was around the time like eric garner that sort of thing just being so very i am pro-cop no matter what's happened no matter whether it's good or bad you know power to the guys sort of thing and even just his casual demeanor. I mean I know you're seeing a lot of violence. Right, it's like
3: extra it. cop energy. Like people yeah. try to people try to sometimes think that black people ain't pro cop.
6: Well,
3: I'm pro cop. When I get in trouble, I don't call my cousins. I call yeah. the cops.
6: <laughs> but here so I wanted to show that I do have experience noticing a shift in demeanor from, and especially with an NYPD officer. And this is a very genuine question, no sarcasm and nothing. Do you think that being a police officer is maybe one of those professions that I'm not saying someone is specifically saying, I'm going to be a cop just to fuck with black people. But no. a certain disposition of, I'm drawn to being a cop because... I was bullied been, in high school? I was, Either I was bullied or I was the bully. Right. And I want to maintain that. So I'm not saying necessarily, I'm here to fuck with a specific minority. Right. But just an overall, I'm here because I want to be able to have a job or a daily life. I can fuck people up. And
3: I don't really have the repercussions
6: of it or I can kind of exert, I don't. Is that a race thing? Masculinity, masculinity that's what I was about to say. And I'm not saying women don't have any issues with it, but granted we're gonna see most of these cops in the news are men. It's usually a man, other than, I'm so sorry, I forgot the the taser. Yeah, (laughs) but but that's, that's, but that's,
5: that's But, that's more the culture of policing that us versus them thing, like no one telling on each other, like we're not gonna snitch. So I don't I you know there's there's horrible bad cops. I've been run down, I've had guns put to my head by black cops. So I think it's it's more of they feel like, yeah, exactly. And and there's no there's never gonna be any repercussions for them. Do you know what I mean? Like take for example, even the George Floyd situation that you guys are up here talking about. If someone only catches half that video, he's not in jail. If they didn't catch the end of it. The only reason that, the, that that guy is locked up in jail, yes. yes, is white people had to watch that from start to finish. If credits, there was, rolling. If, credits rolling. Credits <laughs> rolling. If there was any of that shit missing, he would be fine right now. Yep. If that person had to leave and go to work, there's not a shot in hell he would be in jail. Is
6: it too naive to suggest like a psych test or a personality kind of test to join? They have to, a take, a, they have to take a psych yeah. test. They, to ju- if they're too <laughs>
4: smart, they can't become police. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> then they then they work at the fire department. Yep, yep,
4: yep.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
5: you got damn right. <laughs> uh, to be
3: honest, FDNY is the most racist institution <laughs> in the City. Oh, 100%. Setting. It's less blacks in, F, uh, in the fire department in New York than any other fucking. Because the fire people got to live together.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they got to live in the house.
3: They got to cook the food. Some people don't <laughs> like fried chicken. <tragic. laughs> Okay, but city, cities
1: around the country <laughs> are having trouble filling their ranks with police officers. The uh, people are retiring. They're, Baltimore is paying a $20,000 bounty yeah. to, uh, to try to encourage people to join the police department. the Morgan
3: State in Baltimore, Maryland. I was down there when I was taping the wire. It was yeah. a sweet town. Okay. But I'll tell you this. First of all, the police department... I grew up in bedside Brooklyn. We used to have more relationship with our police department. 78th Precinct, 81st. We used to have Christmas parties there. Community they policing. Us, they gave us bicycles. They was the coaches Commun- of our softball teams, our baseball teams. Community policing. We knew the cops. They go like this, I'm going to tell your mother, we go home. It was before they came in from Long Island. Yeah, then they started shipping them in. We didn't know these guys. Yeah. They didn't look like, you know, Dave Rigetti and the, the Yankees <laughs> that we knew. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and, sure. they, and, they, and they fear you. They feared us.
5: And Instead they feared of knowing
3: you. us and coaching us and... We all swam together when I was like, this is when I was like up to 15 years these,
5: old. These white dudes that run up on you, they fear you. But it's you different. look like the dude that fucked their girl and dunked on him in high school. <laughs> and I was the guy that fucked their girl yeah. and dunked on him in high school. <laughs> but that don't mean that I have a gun. I'm just trying to get to the comedy show, homie. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. So we don't... got more in common than not in common. That's why it always bugs me about all this race shit. It's like we the same people. We are word. Get used to it. We got anxieties and fears and fucking, we're apprehensive about the future. But we all the same, dude. I, I've,
4: never, I've never, had a, a bad run in with Surprise. It's always <laughs> <good Yeah.
3: running>. <laughs> <laughs> Never once. Not one. The mesh. That's 'cause your skin's so the fucking two, tight. The two, the two,
4: time, the two, two times time I got pulled over while driving. What's up with your microphone? My, your mic. You know, it's
3: cutting me out. Use my headset.
4: The two times I've been pulled or pulled over has been when I had Che or Barnett with me, two black, black, people two in my the black car. friends in my car. I swear to God, I wish I am making that shit up, but it was in upstate New York. I got pulled over twice. Right. Both times I had either Che or my friend Kevin in the car, and it was just like, yeah, sorry, man, I'm just driving them around. This is a little driving-this-dating situation.
5: <laughs> I, the reason I made the John Lassner challenge is I think that people, white people, would be mortified if they knew how many times we had been stopped by the police. I think they would, when I called my friends to even Sherrod, Sherrod said the same thing as everybody else. Oh, I got to think which one. Hmm. It wasn't a matter of had we been violated horribly by the police, which, which story do we tell? Yeah, which one's going to play the best? Which one's going to play the best in your project? And and then by the time the New York Times had fucking put it in there like, yo, you got to see this shit John is doing, I was barraged with stories. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, John, I want to tell the one about – a couple of them made me cry. I didn't even know. And these are famous people too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that people would be completely stunned. But I do believe it's a smaller problem. I believe the circulation of the dollar, which is why I created the app, is is Mm -hmm. much more of a pernicious uh, – much more of a pernicious thing in the black community that didn't exist in other communities because they came over and they spent with each other. And they, you know, if, if you call me nigga and I'm worth a million dollars, I'll just keep walking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll be like, I'm a rich nigga. <laughs> so who gives a fuck. You know what I mean? If you do, once your community is doing well, you can spend your way as all marginalized communities do out of this uh, cycle of poverty. Um, uh, things start to look up. But, but, um, the, the circulation of the dollar plummeted after integration.
0: John, can I ask you something? You sure can, yeah. brother. I hear everything you're saying. Who were you talking to in the survey? Where'd you find the people that you talked to? That's oh, not a challenge, it, I just mean who-, who You mean, for, for the John Lasseter challenge? Yeah, what, what, who were
5: oh, the people? My yes, yeah, my, just my closest friends, anybody. Okay. Any black man,
4: I, <laughs> I asked me. Uh, I, <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> hurt my I knew. I I <laughs> called
5: one friend who said they had not had a bad run in with the cops, and to me that's telling that I can remember, because I remember my 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 college coach said, "Anytime you can name names, there aren't many." But one guy, a buddy of mine named Drew Frazier, he said, "You know what, John? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would do it justice because I haven't had any really." He's the and I still remember that. Yeah. So one of my friends did not have experiences that they felt like fighting or crying. There's a scene in uh, in Boys in the Hood where the, the black cop puts a gun to uh, to the, the lead character's head or the co-star's head, and he comes in the crib, Cuba Gooding Jr., yeah. and starts swinging. Who
3: knew in real life he deserved that gun to his head?
5: This <laughs> <laughs> crowd don't read blogs. <laughs> and we've all had that moment. All of my friends have had that moment where you where you just had to press it down suppress yeah, that yes. that warning to explode feeling from the cops violence all
0: right John, I just want to venture a little something this doesn't cover everything that you're saying but what do you think would have happened if you had done the same thing? And you went to, say, I grew up in Philadelphia, and my mother used to, my mother was a social work teacher, and so she used to teach me and my sister a lesson. She taught at Temple University, and she would go the long way from our very leafy, basically suburban neighborhood. She would take this long way, and we would go through the black inner city, for one thing. Then we would go through the neighborhoods of Kensington and Fishtown, which were the white ghetto. And I used to ask mom, why are we going this long way? And she would say, I want you to see that it's not only black people who live like this. What do you think you would have found if you had asked a bunch of white guys in Kensington or Fishtown? Do you think that they wouldn't have cop stories? Because to tell you the truth, and I hear everything you're saying, they would say the exact same thing. Right. So good. Good question, because
5: I did. I was curious. So I did ask a few of my white friends who I knew you know what i mean didn't come up so beautifully the same question at the club as a matter of fact and a lot of them were like no which gets back to another point that i wanted to make about about policing and how we are policed but also who they police do you know what i mean so i, I got locked up one time for some knick-knack shit, for walking in between these train cars right i had a warrant from peeing in the street from a long time ago yeah <laughs> when you gotta go you gotta go huh? yes But I hadn't paid that ticket, so there's a warrant, so I get locked up, right? I'm in the cell. People are coming up to me. Hey, ain't you the dude? And I'm lying that I don't want to be this comedian. Right, exactly. I don't want them asking me to tell them a joke all fucking night. Downtown in jail in Brooklyn. That's right? the best of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the best of it. So I keep lying, I keep lying. Eventually the third or fourth guy comes in like, yo, John Last, are you funny as hell? Now the cat's out of the bag, right? So now I'm talking to guys in there, yo, and all this time I'm nervous because I'm thinking these guys are in here for murder or selling dope. They done done something. I stereotype my own people. We've all stereotyped black men. Fuck out of here, right? Who the yeah, fuck am I? Dumb. Yeah. Yeah, we've all done that, right? So Turns out, do you know what this cell was full of? Motherfuckers who had jumped the turnstile walked between all of us. After At, at the end of the conversation, I was like, all you niggas in here for the same thing? Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't even nervous anymore. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, fellas, well, let's have a conversation. <laughs> we were all in there for train violations. So to the point about the Capitol, and I know the Capitol sounds like an extreme idea, but just like the crack era, they locked us up. These white boys out here doing black tar, heroin, uh, all types of meth. Where's the jails for that? Now what we need
3: is treatment. That's treatment and rehab. These be locked down so who all do you, the way. Who do you police?
5: For crack. You could have took the same cops and shook down these white dudes that work on Wall Street.
3: Yeah, and You think they don't away.
5: have cocaine in their pockets every morning? I work down there. Yep. I know they're a bunch of cokeheads.
3: So you could police that.
5: And some of those poor whites,
3: those poor whites in Kensington that you walk through, they got an opportunity to become cops and uh, firemen and everything that you work for the city. And the blacks ain't have the same opportunities. I do not believe,
5: I agree with you guys both, I do believe that two things can be true at the same time, though. I I believe that we are over-policed. I also believe that we are treated bad when the cop runs up on me because he's scared. I also believe that there's a lot of things that black people could do me and Mike Che were having this argument the other night. He was talking about whatever. And I was like, until you figure out where to spend your money, you are going to be in this predicament. Yep, yeah, you're the problem. Yes. Yeah, so two things can be true at the same time. And that doesn't make me a coon. Until If you think that fucking somebody's coming to rescue you that has their own problems, we are going to be here. Until you start pushing the goddamn car out the ditch... You know the story about Chris. Yourself. I don't know if that if that was true, but they said he's stuck on the side of the road, and he's waving for help. Nobody stopping. Nobody starts starts to push the car, and cars pull over. So we got to start pushing this goddamn John, car.
0: John, one, I'm going to ask one more question. This is I'm just going to let this lie. Why is it that many, 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 many more boys and young men in this city? who jump the turnstile are black than white. I mean, I don't think we can deny the fact. I've lived here 20 years. Yeah. Why is such, more black kids here. Why is such a disproportion of them black? Um, I don't. I don't. More black kids at the subway. I'm, I'm going to. I'm just asking the question.
5: Okay, no. This this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to assume that's true because I don't want nobody to say you co-signed for that bullshit, John. Let's <laughs> let's for and arguments. Plus being let's, white,
3: let's, jump the turnstile, not well, get you arrested. Let's let's, <laughs> let's for arguments. Let's for arguments. That's same. a different question. So yeah. why white woman get caught at 14th Street for going over the turnstile one time. And a cop stopped her, and she lost it on him. And it was like, you know what, bitch? Just go. <laughs> 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 it's not worth all that shit. Yo. Yo, Sherrod, I would love to see your black ass try that. No, no, no. <laughs> I got to run all the way down the train, <laughs> jump between it like it's a fucking breakdancing movie. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think that...
5: that uh, that the average white household is worth, I think, uh, 15 or 18 times as much as a black household. So I would say that disparity alone would probably tell you that some of those black kids are, are a little more. But they're drinking and driving more, more than we are because they it's got cars. But Long cause. Island,
3: all the drinking and driving underage is white kids. <laughs> well, they have cars. All it's of it. But they don't get jail time for that. That's more dangerous than jumping a turnstile.
0: Do you know that?
3: You don't kill nobody when you jump a turnstile.
0: Do you know that they don't get jail time for that? Oh, I know that. Because I, I drink and drive what of that? out They're
3: like, uh, you know what? The car knows the way home. <laughs> I'm a visitor. <laughs> <laughs> Corral, you don't deserve me. <laughs>
1: okay, I'm letting these guys have their head here. But I mean, I just got to bring some reality to the situation, man. 20,000 homicides in the country in a year. 10,000 of them are black. Uh, homicide, homicide the major uh cause of death of uh of young black uh, kids i mean these cities are made into war zones by the amount of violence that's how we get the guns when you address it i'm not talking about the gun i'm talking about the person who's shooting the gun okay and i'm asking you in the context of this discussion to address yourself to the horror that's being perpetrated in so many of these communities by the violent behavior of a few black kids. Now let me break this down. First of all, like when white kids, white kids shoot up
3: schools too, right? Let's just go to schools. When white kids shoot up a school, they shoot the whole school. They shoot everybody in school. I was like, that's your beef? Everybody, the janitor, motherfucker? (laughs) When black kids shoot the school, it's one kid shooting one kid. It's Kareem shooting Kareem. And half the time the school is like this. Somebody had to shoot (laughs) Kareem. Welcome to Earth. It's like somebody had to shoot Kareem. Somebody had to step in there where the police would not and end that menace. Uh, Sometimes we celebrate it. We're like, wait, Kareem's going? I can go to science this week. (laughs) I'm gonna have a future because Kareem does not. (laughs) Earth.
5: Is all it too right. much. He said somebody yeah. got somebody got to shoot Kareem. Somebody had to shoot Kareem. Kareem had to go.
3: <laughs> That's the facts. I went to school in Brooklyn. I went to public school all the way up to high school. Then I went to Bishop Lachlan uh, Catholic School in Brooklyn, Bed Stuy. Me and Giuliani went same school. He went with his all boys. Okay. <laughs> um, Thank I, you, Better Side.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, Glenn, to your point, I think you're you're asking a a macro question. Now, I do agree with you, if you shoot somebody, your black ass should go to jail. I'm not gonna I, Yeah, I'm not gonna call that racism. I remember I was on the court one day, this dude drives by, pulls a gun out, pulls a gun out the window while I'm on the court. I was the hood athlete. You can't pull a gun on me. Yeah, you can't you can't pull a gun on a hood athlete. That'll get you fucked up. And uh and one of my psycho friends runs and jumps on top of the car. They start shooting through the roof. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm a, a scene
3: from Above the Rim with Tupac. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just saying that's just how it was in the hood. A, 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 a gunfight later on ensued. Everybody didn't get out of there. I'm not going to get specific. I still don't. That was a long wow. time ago. Right. But should the person who shot the person go to jail? Absolutely. But the, 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 the number of homicides that you're talking about is a macro issue. I mean, that's from centuries of the incentive being let them sort it out amongst themselves. Do you know what I mean? If, if, if there had been a white woman involved in that same thing, they would have kicked in all the doors in the hood that night. And we yes. knew it. We knew that. Yeah. And you know that, too. We all know that it's very different. So with the shit that happened down there in the hood, it's like, eh, there's a line in Boys in the Hood. Yeah. They act like they don't know, don't show it, don't care. Nothing
3: was more. So I grew up in Bedside Brooklyn. Nothing more, was more safe than a white woman walking by herself through the hood. Yeah. Well, when they, when they, niggas like this, yo, nobody touch her. Sherrod. Sharad. We all uh, going to jail. Sherrod.
5: When they gentrified where I lived in Fort yes. Greene, when white people first started moving in, they put us out. They literally, my landlord said, "Uh, you can find somewhere else. Don't worry about giving me the <laughs> rent." Yeah, I'm not even joking. And they put cops on every corner, from, from I think Decal over to Myrtle, so that white women could get home safely. And and also the G train started running on time. On time. Still pissed said, off of about that. I'm still upset about that bullshit. I
3: love when the white people
5: come. The Fresh tomatoes. To come, the G train before that would come once a month. You had to have a reservation. <laughs> <laughs> you, used to, you used to have a. Re- you used to have to get a reservation for that yes. train like,
3: on Expedia. It was like a haunting. <laughs> it was a haunting when we got
5: them. Yo, I yo, I I love you guys. I have to actually go host a show unfortunately around the corner. But yeah, thank you guys that. for having me, man. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry. All right, John. All right, John.
1: Sorry, buddy. I got a rug. I, didn't uh, uh, I think Good we. Good luck had, getting a cab. <laughs> uh,
4: I'll speak for John now. Uh, Nimesh been waiting to hear from you, man. My mic was uh, off. Uh, let me say all the jokes I had loaded up. <laughs> 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 Uh, honestly i I, again like i don't have much to say on the police issue i I mean when it comes to african-americans and socioeconomic issues i'm i'm fully on board with what john was saying earlier about it's like headwinds that people are up against constantly that we're still undoing i think the solution is take all these white people's money and then distribute it amongst uh, um and (laughs) (laughs) a
1: a, a few other friends We have any questions in the audience out there?
4: Use this broken mic. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
7: <laughs> All right, so so we're talking about cops, we're talking about headwind, and uh, I'm thinking about um, when Catholics first came here, I- Irish and, and Italian, and I'm thinking how, uh, I'm sure in the beginning, uh, those uh, groups had uh, uh, very uh, severe run-ins with authority. And uh, I don't know the hi- exact history of it, but the Irish seem to have had, uh, just populated the police force and the Italians seem to have gone more uh, the legal end and, and judges. And, and I understand that that uh, uh, up until recently, uh, uh, blacks weren't able to uh, just apply and enter into, into uh, let's say the police force. But is this maybe an opportunity where now uh, white people I, I I think it'll be very hard for them to want to become police officers. So is this an opportunity where minorities can take over the police force, almost like the Irish did back at the turn of the 20th, and and so there the, we could start a change there somehow. It, it, it's just an interesting history for me.
4: Your yeah. question is: Should black people become cops, and, yeah, I mean. and that will solve everything? Well,
0: that's
3: what it, it will help. Yeah. That's what it
4: I don't know, is that what the Catholics did?
3: Yeah, that's what the Irish did. The right. Irish, the paddy wagon was called the paddy wagon because they got arrested all the time. Right? <laughs> and then they became the motherfuckers driving the paddy wagon. Uh-huh. But, you know, Irish and Italian, they came to America to become white. Right. Black people didn't have that choice. We still black no matter where we go. Right, you could Italians hide. and Irish wasn't white until they got here. Swish. <laughs> Swish. I don't know, should I pull call people? Can I ask some Yes, yes.
2: Um, John and Glenn, you will forever be on a pedestal in my view for the work that you did in actually watching the documentary of Trayvon Martin and reading
3: the book. Was that you, John, who actually even read the book?
1: I read it too. And
0: I really did read that book. Yeah.
3: Um, What's the update on that? Because that was the actual roots of the corporation of Black Lives Matter. Have you guys gotten any kind of okay cred as a result of that, or are you
2: still like uh, in the shits over it?
1: Glenn knows more about that. All right, well, let me give some background and you can weigh in, John. So um, she's talking about Joel Gilbert, who is a documentary filmmaker who did an expose on what he called a witness fraud in the Trayvon Martin case. And the fraud involved substituting someone who testified as having been on the telephone with Trayvon at the time that the encounter with George Zimmerman in Sanford, Florida took place.
0: So in other words, that Rachel Gentel that we saw that hesitant witness that she was a plant that was a complete fake. Go ahead. Glenn. Yeah.
1: And uh, Gilbert went on to uh, use the public records and uh, 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 cell phone and text. Uh, uh, records and whatnot to get uh, a view, a kind of insight into who was Trayvon Martin and what was going on in his life and all of this and, and he produced this um, debunking of the kind of cover story about what happened Trayvon Martin and Innocent Kid, Skittles and ice tea, hunt, hunted down by George Zimmerman and so forth and so on and he gave a counter-narrative uh, years after the actual event uh the documentary film and the book were published John and I became aware of them and dared to discuss the issue at uh the podcast because we wanted to stay in touch with reality and credit to the extent that we thought it was creditable and Gilbert made a pretty creditable case uh the evidence at hand and uh that's what's being referred to you want to add to that that
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's just Rachel Gentel was a plant. There was another woman who Trayvon was involved with who would have known much more, who didn't want to take the stand for reasons that we don't need to go into. But also, I think Gilbert, unfortunately, Gilbert has credentials that might not smell very good to many people in terms of various places that he's put his hands. But in terms of Making a logical case, mm-hmm. it became very clear that any notion that Zimmerman hunted him down and killed him is absolutely untrue. That's not what happened. It, Trayvon Martin was a good fighter and was possibly about to kill Zimmerman. And unfortunately, very unfortunately, Zimmerman had a gun. Shouldn't have had a gun on him. Zimmerman and had it coming. And, 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 and so you... Follow and, around a follow-around little boy. And, you, and used it. You follow-around <laughs> a little boy for so, you son of a bitch. And he
3: was... He was he a young man. He was a young. He was underage. He, he that sounds f- freaky to me. If a young, I'm, I'm underage and a man following me around, i he wants to fuck me.
0: It was a it was a <laughs> tragic event. I was a hot boy, by the way, <laughs> but Glenn, I think the question you, was, where you. has it gone since then? <laughs> you know, we talked about it a little bit. Then, frankly, I've gotten busy with the times. I haven't followed. It's the case,
1: disappeared, but... as far as I know. There was a lawsuit, a big lawsuit right. that uh, Zimmerman had brought. Uh, but I think it's fizzled. I have not heard anything but about it.
0: One? Right. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, I, it's probably lost in the court somewhere, but uh, who knows where it's actually going. But it should be acknowledged that Joe Gilbert is an sh- interesting character. I mean, he <laughs> so he has a another expose. Um, uh it's, This is a major uh-oh. Listen Obama's to the other real thing. father. What is it? What does he call it? Oh, Dreams from my real father. Oh man! In 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 which he argues that Barack's father is not the uh, Nigerian, the Kenyan, Kenyan. Nigerian, I mean, Kenyan. Too. But is in in fact a black American communist uh, who was a friend. You know, I mean. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah 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 yeah. Okay. So unfortunately, Gilbert did that too.
0: And then <laughs> and then there's some other things. But the trade and it should be importantly no one is saying that Trayvon Martin deserved to die not remotely But it's just that the story that was told was extremely different from what actually happened The boar boy was not hunted down by a crazy man. That's all was followed,
1: But down. now why are we actually, do everlasting we love and affection for simply having uh, Said what we thought was the truth
3: Yeah.
1: If you believe it's the truth, I don't have
3: no problem with you believing that I don't care what it, it is. Nobody talk about it. Preach. Nobody, nobody will talk about what actually happened. Oh. you two did. And that was extremely impressive that you
4: went against the Black Lives Matter, who now we see is just a bunch of hoodlums who are taking a bunch of money. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> whoa. whoa, holy shit. Sharon, you want to go first right. or uh, <laughs> 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 All right, let's I go to commercial. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this. Uh... <laughs> Susan, Susan, can you tell her how to behave? <laughs> okay,
3: who who stole the money? Patrice Kalora has stolen millions. All right. So why don't you prosecute her? That don't mean that all Black lives You're matter. Going after her. But that don't mean like Black people in my church who believe in Black lives matter stole money. The corporation has. That means fucked that one them. individual. The has fucked the grassroots people who are doing. Maybe you had me at corporation. <laughs> Are black people on the side of corporations? They corporations that have never been on our side. It used to be a corporation that sold us. with,
0: well, you
1: wrestle with a pig, they, you both get muddy.
3: They like it. Oh, you might get a bacon.
1: <laughs>
4: Wait, who's,
1: who's the pig in this case?
4: Who's wrestling?
2: Let, let's get another question here.
4: This is a nightly conversation with Sherrod. This is just how it is.
7: Thank you.
2: Uh, So my question has to do with a podcast you guys did in January. It was one of the great podcasts where you guys were disagreeing the entire time. I think it had to do with the Georgia voting laws. And John was very adamant that they were racially motivated. And Glenn was accusing John of doing ad hominem attacks. So my question is for John. um, You know, if someone's saying something overtly racist and, you know, they're saying that we want to suppress the black vote, Obviously, that's racist intent. But if someone's not saying that, and on the face, the laws that they're passing are race neutral, and as we saw in the effect with the primary, it's the, the greatest like voter turnout in the state. So, what is it that makes you impune such a like um, malignant motive to impugnate. certain? Oh, who me? <laughs> So, um, such a malignant motive to some, like certain politicians and certain, um, yeah, policies.
0: I hear you and I was (laughs) mystified by the response to that one to the extent that, no offense, to be honest, I was never even ruffled by all that hate mail I got for that because, and no offense again, I think it's so easy to misinterpret what someone's message is. I didn't say or if I did, it was because of the, the messy flow of, of casual speech. I didn't say that the people were racists. I always emphasize that I don't know what's in their hearts, and I think you can do what they're doing without being a bigot at all. I was, no, I don't
2: think you could, because you're, yeah, you were saying that like they wanted less Democrat voters, and right. they, to do that, they wanted less black people to vote. Which is pragmatic. Which is racist.
0: N- no it brings race into no it. that's just that's just it that is overextending the use of that word it means they don't care what the effect on the black community is going to be they're not interested in observing so you can not give a fuck and not be racist frankly Yes, yeah, I, I think that there are differences in priorities. I agree. Those people aren't bigots. They just don't give a damn. And to me, there's a difference. And frankly, just is equally bad. And I took, <laughs> I took a lot of shit for quote unquote, saying these people are racist when I think that it's painfully clear that certain people have noted all black people vote Democratic. And so if we do things that will prevent <laughs> black people from voting, then we Republicans will have more votes. I don't call that bigotry, although I know that the fashion is to say that it is racist in the sense that say Ibram Kendi would mean it, I think we extend that word so far, that it's difficult for most human beings to wrap their heads around it. And it's useful. I'm not Dressing you down. I see what you mean, but it is useful to call it racist because then it gets our hearts pounding and we're going to battle against it. We can battle against it without saying that those people are bigots. Some of them probably are. But if I were somebody who wanted them to, I wanted there to be more Republicans because I think that the Republicans have a vision for society that will get us past everything. They think they've got the answer to everything right. But if that's what I thought then I can see deciding let's have fewer black people vote. And it's an easy way to get rid of democratic votes because they all vote democratic. Now, you're thinking, well, that's racist. There Now, they're thinking, well, there's this history of black people's vote being suppressed, et cetera, and we got past it, and there's the Voting Rights Act of 1965, so therefore, I won't do this out of respect for the black story. How about win their they vote? Don't, they don't think that way. That when their vote money. over. How
3: be, be Republican I'll say, hey, let's welcome some of these blacks over here because they ain't been
0: winning with the Democrats, so That's let's not, try to
3: get them over here.
0: That would be nice, but those people are not bigots. They're jerks. There's a difference.
1: But, John, do you acknowledge that Jim Crow 2.0, which is how the Georgia law was referred to, the Major League Baseball canceled that all-star game. rhetorical and, uh, overkill.
0: Yes. Okay. And there's no such thing as the new Jim Crow either.
3: But people I are... like that they canceled that baseball game. Mm-hmm. You don't deserve baseball, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a right. <laughs>
1: all right, ladies and gentlemen, I've been told you that it's to time to call this fucker. session Aww. to a close. I do regret it. I want to thank Nimesh Patel. Thank you. Uh, so thank Sherrod you Small.
3: Come on now, crowd.
1: are all family. John Laster. John Laster in absentia. John McWhorter, the man. And your humble servant here, Glenn Lowry. The
3: champ is here. Oh, you're such a Virgo. Thanks, guys. Thank
4: you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much. We'll talk again. My pleasure. My pleasure.